So this morning's message is a continuation from last week. And if you recall last week, we were speaking about unity. And we realized that unity is a magnet for the power and the blessing and the favor of God to glorify Christ and ignite hope in the world. But in order to experience unity, we must first walk in humility. Humility is the key to unity. So we move from Philippians chapter 1, this exhortation unto unity, into Philippians chapter 2, a model for humility. And in defining unity, we saw that unity is not sameness. Everybody is alike. Unity is oneness with the same focus. And we gave the example of a football team. Everybody has a different position. Everybody has a different size. Everybody has a different skill set. Unity is not sameness. It is oneness with the same focus. And the focus is the goal line. And so it is with the body of Christ. We are different. The Holy Spirit has designed it as such. We are not the same, but we are one. And our focus is to glorify Christ, grow in Christ, encourage one another, and reach a lost world with the gospel of Christ. This is our focus. And this focus so overshadows all of our differences. So that our differences are inconsequential compared to the enormity of the focus of Christ. We saw last week that that unity is is not um, conformity. Everybody conform into the same image. Unity is not conformity. We saw last week that unity is submission to the same authority. And we gave the example of a symphony warming up in its pure racket because they all have their own pieces and their own notes and their own instruments. But when the maestro taps his wand and he raises it, all of the, that noise comes into a beautiful symphony. So it is with the body of Christ. We are all different, but we come underneath the same authority. And that authority is the lordship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, so that our submission to the same authority overshadows all of our differences. And this is what Paul highlighted to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 1 verse 7. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace. Paul is a Hebrew who was raised in a fluent Hebrew, well-educated Hebrew. He has nothing in common with the Greeks that he's writing to at the church at Philippi. In fact, the church at Philippi was very diverse. We looked at last week. It comprised of an Asian woman who was an entrepreneur named Lydia, who was a uh, a God-fearer. The second convert in Philippia was, in Philippi, was a slave girl who was a Greek in in religious turmoil and poor, and then a jailer and his family that was Roman and uh, indifferent and probably cynical towards matters of faith. And this is what comprised the early church of Philippi. Not oneness, or not sameness, but oneness with the same focus. Not conformity, but unity under the umbrella of Christ's sovereignty and his authority over their lives. And so it is with us in the body of Christ. Unity is not circling up with people just like us. That's not unity at all. That's sameness. And sameness is very different than oneness with a common focus that overshadows our differences. 
Unity is not conformity at all. Circled up with people just like us. Unity is submission to the same authority. And the only way then that we can find unity is to be with people that are different than us. Otherwise, we have nothing to give up in order to walk in unity. And that is where humility comes in. Without humility, it's impossible to have true unity. And we cannot have humility if we don't have differences in which we can give up. I have a friend who mentioned he went to church with somebody and after church they went to lunch and this person said, I can't go to church there. I have nothing in common with them. I can't fellowship there. I have nothing in common with them. And to that, my friend said, is not Christ enough to overshadow our differences? And this is what Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 1, verse 7. This is what we have in common. Lydia, the, the, the Asian entrepreneur who's well off, the slave girl who was liberated, who was Greek and, 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 and in poverty, and the Roman family who was previously indifferent about Christ. We come together in Christ. And me, a, a Hebrew who was raised in affluence, he, he's saying what we have in common is that we are all partakers of the grace of God. This is our focus, and this is what allows us to have unity and sweet fellowship, sweet koinonia. And is this not enough for us to have fellowship? Is this not enough for us to have koinonia? This morning's sermon is entitled, get this, A Walk Across the Room. And it's entitled, A Walk Across the Room, because it requires humility to take that step of faith to extend our hand or to give somebody a hug, to begin a relationship, to, to grow together as a family in Christ, or to share Christ with somebody. It takes, it takes humility to walk across the room. It takes courage that can only be born of love to walk across the room and experience fellowship and unity with people who are different from us, but we are all partakers of the grace of God. That's just too hard for some people. So they just circle up with people who are just like them. And consequently, they never experience the power of God in their ministry. And their ministries don't reflect the gospel of Christ. So, Philippians chapter 2. Let's talk about this walk across the room This is a powerful, this is a poetic, it is a profound symphony of humility modeled by Christ. Verse 1, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort from love, if any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. This is the unity coming out of chapter 1. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. This is the unity coming out of chapter 1. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Having this mind among yours, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God A thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, 
And being found in human form, he humbled by himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. What a beautiful passage. This is the model that's been given to us. This is the pathway to greatness. This is, this is the pathway called humility. This is the secret to our spiritual success. This is the secret to the success of a church family. There's a reason that churches typically only grow to a certain number and just kind of fizzle, certain number, fizzle, certain number, fizzle, because it requires true unity to explode to a next level. And in order to have that explosion, you have to have Humility, And as I said earlier, humility is just so hard. In fact, humility is impossible without being spirit-filled. We just read about the ultimate walk across the room. Christ's walk from heaven to earth. And we're going to look at what he gave up and what he modeled for us to walk, not from heaven to earth, but perhaps just across the room. To model unity through humility. First thing that we read in this is that in order to walk across the room, we have to have humble motives. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. C.S. Lewis, I believe, had the greatest definition of humility in the book Screwtape Letters. Where Uncle Screwtape, the chief demon, was writing letters to Wormwood, the apprentice demon, on how to keep a man from coming to Christ. Once the man came to Christ, the, letter, the purpose of the letter shifted to how to keep him from growing in Christ. And then uh, Uncle Wormwood, writing to, uh, or uh, Screwtape, writing to to Wormwood, uh, defined humility. And he said, humility is not an intelligent man denying his intellect. Humility is not a beautiful woman denying her beauty. As we saw earlier, Luke said he's both handsome and humble. But humility is not, a, is, is, is not an intelligent man denying his intellect or a, a beautiful woman denying her beauty. Humility is this. Humility is saying, I'm going to build the biggest and most beautiful church for the glory of God. Building the biggest and most beautiful church for the glory of God. And rejoicing that God built the biggest and most beautiful church through you. But rejoicing no more and no less than if that church were built through somebody else. That's humility. It's not thinking less of ourselves. It's simply thinking about ourselves less. Because we so care for the mission of Christ that we celebrate what Christ is doing in one another and we're celebrating what Christ is doing through one another. Philippians chapter 2 verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing are you humble 
A real easy telltale sign for this. Are you a champion of unity? By walking in humility? Or are you a champion of division by walking in pridefulness? A real easy sign for this, a real easy telltale sign is are you grumbling and are you complaining? Scripture says in verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish. This is, this is characteristic of a child of God that we don't grumble and we don't complain. And it's real easy to, to, to know, to, to take a litmus test and, and understand if we have pride in our heart or if our heart is filled with humility. Are we building up the body of Christ in unity or are we tearing down the body of Christ in division? Is our knee-jerk reaction to grumble and to complain? Romans chapter 12 In verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Watch this. Outdo one another in showing honor. Not outdo one another in humility, because haven't we all been proud of our humility from time to time? Which is not humility at all. But here's an area where we are entitled to be competitive. And we are are given a command to even outdo one another. And this is we can outdo one another in showing honor. Isn't this awesome? And this is one of the ways that we walk in humility. We outdo one another in honoring one another. In building one another up in Christ. In showing respect to one another. So, to walk across the room, to champion unity by walking in humility, we have to have humble motives. Our motives have to be others-oriented. Because we love Christ so much, our our motives must be others-oriented. And when our motives are others-oriented, it will move us into humble movements. Humble movements. We walk from humility to humility. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. Have this in mind, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. By taking the form of a servant, there's that word again, a form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We see an enormous downward progression or a digression from Christ's loftiness to his humiliation. From the throne room of God, where night and day, Celestial beings that are more glorious than we could imagine are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. To becoming a servant, but not just a servant, because these glorious beings, these angels, are ministries, ministers of his service. So from God to a servant, but less than a servant, to the likeness of men to a human being. This is like you humbling yourself from 
being a human to being a dog. From this downward shift from a servant to less than a servant, a human being, to less than angels, a human being. But not just this downward shift to being a human being, but this downward shift to being obedient to death. The author of life being obedient to death, but not just that, this downward shift to being obedient to death, even death on a Roman cross, a humiliating, grotesque, torturous death. This was Christ's walk across the room for the sake of unity, to unify sinful man and to himself, to pursue us in a relationship. And to pursue us in a relationship required him to walk in humility from heaven to Golgotha's cross. And if Christ can make that shift to pursue a relationship with us, can't we walk across a room and shake somebody's hand and say, welcome to Hope Works? If Christ can make this journey, can't we enter into community and sweet fellowship with people who are just a little bit different than us? And if Christ has given us this model, can't we walk in his footsteps to reach beyond socio? economic, cultural barriers in order to share Christ with somebody, whether it's a homeless person or whether it's an attorney or whether it's a United States senator. Can't we step across lines to share Christ with people? This is our example, a walk across the room because our heart is so filled up with love. And when you take that step of faith and you walk across a room, anything can happen. I was studying at Starbucks once. It was in, I believe, the spring of 2001. And somebody walks across the room and sits down across from me and says, what are you reading? And I said, the Bible. He said, well, I'm a brother in Christ too. My my name's Luke Gilchrist. I said, my name is Shane Gray. And he said, hey, I'm at a place in my life where I could really use a brother in Christ if you could. I said, sure. We swapped numbers. I invited him to a Friday night Bible study I was having. Never really expected anything to come of it. He came out. He brought some friends from TCU with him. And I was sharing the gospel, and my easel started to fall. And he was sitting on the front row, and he leaned forward and tightened a stand. And he said, God spoke to his heart right then. You are to support this man as he shares the gospel. It was 19 years ago. And you just heard from him, still supporting me, still supporting us as we share the gospel. We were in desperate need for a youth pastor just a couple of years ago, and um, I was studying at a Starbucks. I, uh, somebody stands up and says, hey, can you watch my books for a second? I said, I said, yeah, no problem. He walks in, and I pray, God, I would, I would love to serve alongside that man, because I just saw Christ in it. He comes back and sits down, and he's studying. I walk across, Shane Gray, and he says, Tarek Antoine. I said, nice to meet you. I said, hey, I really need, some, I really need help loving on people out of my church. Would, would you be willing to pray about coming out and, and helping me? He said, sure. He was here a couple weeks later, and you heard from him earlier today. He's our, he's our youth pastor. Anything can happen when you walk across the room. There was a time... 
that I was driving uh, around the Central Market area. I saw some, uh, some kids playing basketball. And I think, man, I wish I played basketball. I would just go bond with them and share Christ. But my skills are not in the realm of basketball. And so I thought, oh, well. So I'm driving I-30 going east. I'm around Arlington Heights High School. I feel convicted. Next thing you know, I'm making a U-turn. And I'm praying, God, you know I don't play basketball. You're going to have to go before me. Then before, right before you know it, or before you know it, I'm walking up to the basketball court. I'm not dressed to play basketball. They don't know who I'm at. They look at me. I said, do you mind if I play? And they're like, yeah, sure. They graciously toss me the basketball. It bounces off of me. They sort of more gently hand it to me. I dribble. It bounces off my foot. But you know what? A couple hours later, we're all having pizza, and some of those kids come out to youth and even come to Christ. Anything can happen when you dare to walk across the room. What keeps us from walking across the room is the idea that that we're out of our comfort zone. What will they think of us? What will people think of us? What if it doesn't turn out just right? But the the potential so overweighs the, the cons that we have to walk in the image of Christ. And besides, we are never rejected. Our goal is just to help people come a little bit closer to the realization that God loves them so much and he has a plan for their lives. Karen and I, uh, there, was a, there, there was a season that we were spending all afternoon with, with uh, s- some of our youth who are now grown up into just beautiful, wonderful young ladies, Brandy, Victoria, and Jabez. And one time Victoria said to me, Shana, I feel sorry for you. And I said, why? And she, because she spent so much time with us. And she said, because I see you get rejected all the time. <laughs> I said, well, this is true. But this is, this is what happens. You, you walk across the room, but in walking across the room, there are times that God ignites something that's so eternal, and it changes their life, it changes your life, and it changes the church, and it changes the world. So, sometimes you have to teach someone how to have a handshake, Right? And sometimes a kid will, will, will try to shake your hand and they're, they're looking away and there's no grip and, and um, there's no eye contact. And so you're like, whoa, 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 hold up, hold up. Um, make eye contact. This is, the first thing about shaking hands is, is eye contact. And then, and then you, you have a firm grip and you maintain eye contact and, and you say, nice to meet you. And yes, sir, this sort of thing. And sometimes we just have to teach the basics of unity. And the basics of unity are walking across the room in order to make somebody understand that they matter. And the first way that they know that they matter is by convincing them that they matter to us. And in convincing them that they matter to us, they grow to realize that they deeply matter to God because it's God in us loving them. So we walk across the room. Did you know that two guests will sit beside one another and they don't know that one another are guests. They just think this is a very unfriendly place. And so it's up to us to walk across the room, to pray with people, to shepherd people, to pastor people, to to love people, to encourage people, to hug people, to introduce people to people. And we are all commissioned to be ministers. And this is basic. This This is how you shake hands and look in the eyes. We walk across the room and we encourage and we love one another. handful of years ago, before we started HopeWorks, I went up to Colorado just to spend time with the Lord and, and, and just to receive renewal and, and fresh vision. 
And so I had a cabin, and, and I was, it was in this small town, and it was the kind of small town where I didn't see many people. I saw some occasional deer. Everything closed at sundown. I was spending time with the Lord, but it was lonely, and, and I wanted to be around people. So I go, to a, I go to a nearby ski lodge to read my Bible and pray. And here at the ski lodge, I see people coming down from the slopes, and they're laughing, they're talking about the run, they're, people are getting ready to go up onto the slopes, and they're excited about, about their, their run that they're about to take. There, there, there's groups together taking pictures, and groups together eating, and, and I was sitting there by myself and thought, wow, it's more lonely to be alone in a group of people than it is to be alone alone. And I couldn't wait to get out of there. And it occurred to me that is most people's experience in the assembly of believers. They're alone, alone, but when they come amongst an assembly of believers, they are even more lonely. And I just prayed, I said, oh Lord, if you ever let me start that church that you put on my heart, I pray that nobody would slip in and slip out, wondering if they matter to us. I pray that nobody would slip in and slip out, thinking that they are unloved. Everyone who comes into our midst, let them understand that they're the most important person in the world. Let them understand that you love them so much. Let us help them to understand that they matter to us. But this requires an entire church to be mindful of of loving one another and to be committed to walking in unity and to have the wherewithal spiritually to walk in humility, to walk across the room. So, in order to make this walk across the room, we must have humble motives and consider others better than ourselves and outdo one another showing honor. We must have humble moments, movements, by walking in the footsteps of Christ who descended from heaven's throne to Golgotha's cross in order to champion unity with us. And if Christ can do that, well, then we can certainly walk across our microscopic socioeconomic barriers to enter into koinonia and fellowship with one another in the body of Christ. And thirdly, we must, in order to to, to walk from heaven throne to Golgotha's cross, we must have a humble mission, a humble mission. Philippians chapter uh, 2, verses 9 and 10. Therefore, God exalted Christ and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that, so that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is our mission. It's the power of Christ protecting us. Christ is pleased with us. We live for an audience of one, and that's Jesus. We live for him to say, well done, my good and faithful servant, in whom I am well pleased. We don't have to defend ourselves. We don't have to climb some ladder. We just follow in the example of Christ in carrying our cross in order to let Christ love people through us, and then it's Christ who will put us where we need to be. We don't have to climb. Christ will exalt us. We don't have to achieve. Christ will put us exactly where he wants us to be. We just walk in humility by carrying our cross in order to love others. And this means that we have to stop grasping and we must empty ourselves. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Who? Christ. 
though it was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Grasped. This is a really interesting word. In the Greek, grasp is harpazda, harpazdo. And it means to take something by force, to take something violently. You have an idea of somebody who knew how to grasp when you consider Alexander the Great, who conquered the known world, I believe, when he was 33 years of age. And after he conquered the last known people, he sat down on a rock and wept because there was nothing else to take. And we really esteem people who take things, who make a name for themselves. But Christ's walk across the room, first of all, involved him not grasping this idea of harpazo. To help us understand the word grasp, we see grasp used other places in Scripture. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. In foreshadowing John the Baptist's death, Jesus said, from the days of John until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violence has, watch this, taken it, grasped, harpozo, taken it by force. To better understand this word grasped, uh, we look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 20, when Jesus is talking about, um, when Jesus is, is, is talking about walking in freedom, and he says that he says that in order to take the goods out of a, a strong man's house, you first have to bind up that strong man, and then you can you can carry off or you can take, you can grasp his his possessions. It's the idea of the violent, it's the idea of the wicked taking something by force. John chapter 10 verse 12, Jesus talks about this again when he's talking about um, a, a hired servant is watching the sheep and he sees a wolf. He doesn't stick around to fight. He gets out of there and then the wolf snatches. That's the same word, snatches the sheep away. We see the same word show up in the book of Revelation when the dragon snatches the child. So it's this idea of being violent, of taking, of grasping, and to understand humility. The first thing that we see is Jesus did not grasp that which was already his. Instead, he was open-handed. We see the difference between grasping and open-handedness in the Old Testament. If you recall, King Saul grasped for the kingship, even when it was already given to David by God. And though it was given to David by God, David never grasped for it. David was simply open-handed when he could have grasped the kingdom and easily killed Saul in a vulnerable position. Vulnerable position. He did not. Saul continued to grasp a kingdom that did not belong to his. David never grasped a kingdom that did belong to him. Once David was king because God removed Saul and put clearly exalted David. David had a son named Absalom. Very charismatic, very handsome, very much political, very much an an influencer of people relationally. 
The kingdom did not belong to Absalom. It belonged to David. Although the kingdom did not belong to Absalom, Absalom grasped for that. And even though it belonged to David and Absalom was grasping, David never grasped for that which belonged to him. He remained open-handed. So much so that he humbly, in a, in a disgraceful processional, rode out of the kingdom and let, let his son grasp the throne and even have relations with his concubine. And David was just humble. And he said, I'm not going to fight for it. I'm not going to grasp. God gave it to me. I'm not going to cling to it. If God wants me on the throne, he will put me on the throne. And the first thing that we see in Christ coming from heaven's throne to Golgotha's cross is that he did not grasp. How often do we instinctively grasp to maintain our pride? We grasp to protect ourselves emotionally. We grasp for our rights. We grasp for self-protection. We grasp so that others don't think less of us. We grasp to move up in this world. And that is the very opposite of humility. Instead of grasping, we go on to read, who though was in the form of God did not count, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But what did he do instead? Verse 7, he emptied himself. He emptied himself. In the Greek, this is kenu. And it means destitute, empty, worthless, and dead. We see this, we see this idea of Kenu in James chapter 2, verse 20. The same word is used when James writes, faith without works is dead. It's worthless. It's useless. It's empty. It's like a cloud with no rain. It's useless. It's like having a a sailboat without wind. Christ did not grasp his celestial glory, but rather he made himself empty, destitute of glory, worthless and dead in the sight of men. We esteemed him not, Isaiah 53. Paul uses this word in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, when, when he's talking to the church, don't deprive me. Christ intentionally did not grasp, but rather he deprived himself. And we see the result of this is that the power of God, the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit allowed Christ to conquer death so that at the name of Christ, every knee should bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is our mission. We don't have to protect ourselves. We don't have to achieve. We don't have to climb a ladder. In picking up our cross to love, we do not grasp. And we empty ourselves. And when we do that, God anoints us. God protects us. God provides for us. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5 through 7. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, watch this, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, opposes is a military word, as if a general puts on his military armor and shows himself strong against. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. What are our anxieties? Our anxieties that we have to achieve. Our anxieties that we have to climb a ladder. That we have to protect ourselves. That we have to grasp in order to be great. No. God says, I I oppose that. But when I see somebody so in love with my son, so following in his footsteps, that they do not grasp in a world of graspers, but instead empty themselves, God says, I find that irresistible to bless and to exalt. And I can do more through you in a second than you can do in a thousand years trying to build yourself up. Again, we see in James chapter 4, verse 10 through 15, James carries the same thought. Humble yourselves before the Lord. What is humble? We defined humility as a desire to walk across the room in the name of love. We defined humility as a daring not to grasp but to empty ourselves for the name of Christ, the cause of Christ. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And this all plays into unity. Don't speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not sure of the law but a judge. There's only one lawgiver, there's only one judge who is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? This means that we don't have to grasp. We can empty ourselves, and then God will exalt us. In short, this is our commission. We walk in love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's a well-known verse. It's so well-known because it's so powerful, eloquent, beautiful, and profound. It has become well-known, but it is so well-known that we've allowed it to become familiar to us. And perhaps we don't just slow down and, and listen to it and read it. Let's listen. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. What is love? Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. When in doubt, love. Or when in doubt, just do what Jesus would do. Do you all remember that bracelet, WWJD, what would Jesus do? You might be surprised to know that that has its origin in 1896, not the bracelet, but but the saying. What would Jesus do? Sheldon, I believe, is is, is a man who wrote a book uh, that talked about this, this small church that had this crazy idea. What if every decision were filtered through, what if every action, what if every intent, every motive were filtered through this question, what would Jesus do? And it changed their church and it changed their community. 
Well, later, a youth pastor in 1990 read that book, got inspired, and, and made bracelets for her youth group with WWJD, and, and it had a grassroots movement, and it went viral. What would Jesus do? Jesus would not grasp. Jesus empties himself for the sake of unity to reconcile sinful man to a holy God for relationship. It's, it's easier said theologically than it is to be played out practically, isn't it? For example, there are two kids eating breakfast together, and there's one pancake left, and both kids want the same pancake, and they're fighting over it, and their mom intervenes, and they're explaining, well, I want the pancake, I want the pancake. And she says, what would Jesus do? Jesus would say, you can have the last pancake. And so the older brother said to the little brother, you be Jesus right now. (laughs) (laughs) It's not easy to be Jesus right then, is it? But we have to have a higher, we have to have a higher mission than a pancake. Or whatever a pancake looks like for us in practical terms. And trust that when we don't grasp and we do empty ourselves and become worthless, become nothing to be deprived of esteem and respect for the sake of following in the footsteps of Christ to bring about unity in the church or to love one another or to love people outside the body of Christ. Oh, Christ lifts us up. This is really exciting because Jesus gives us opportunities all day, every day to walk in this kind of of humility. And this is where the power of God, the blessing of God, the favor of God await us. So would you stand with me, please? Let me pray. Father, we pray that we would emulate your love, your reckless, abandoned love, your love that does not grasp, your love that empties, your love that reconciles, your love that that pursues unity, your love that pursues oneness with us. We pray that we would walk in that and we would not grasp. We would empty ourselves. We would love. We pray that you would convince one another in the body of Christ that they matter, that they're important, that they're loved. And we pray that you would convince them, not so much through a sermon, but through the sermon of our of our eyes, through the sermon of our countenance, through the sermon of our time, through the sermon of our sincerity, through the sermon of our intentionality, through the sermon of our effort, through the sermon of our sacrifice. Love the body of Christ. Love the church through us. Father, we pray that you would convince the world that you are holy and they are sinful, but you love them so much you would rather empty yourself that you would not grasp, but you empty yourself and you go through the agony of the cross for them rather than living in the glory of heaven without them. And that if they turn to you, they will be saved. Convince the lost world of this so that they might be found. Convince an addicted world, a bound world of your love so that they might be free. Convince a deadened world so that they might live. Convince them through us. Once again, Lord, through the sermon of our eyes, through the sermon of our countenance, through the sermon of our effort, through the sermon of our walking across a room. 
You traveled the distance of heaven's throne to Golgotha's cross. You walked across the room. And may we follow in your footsteps and walk across a room to pursue relationship. And may we see your love for lost people. May we see your love for the church is so profound that it overshadows our microscopic, ridiculous differences and boundaries. May your love so overshadow that it drives out fear and moves us to walk across a room. And as we sing of your reckless love toward us, may we respond, Lord, like Isaiah, here am I, send me, so that I can walk in this same reckless love towards one another in the church and towards a lost world outside of the church by emptying ourselves and taking a step. Let's respond, guys. As we sing, just offer Christ your heart, offer Christ your steps. As we sing about his reckless love, commit to God that you will take reckless steps led by the Spirit of Christ for the sake of unity, for the sake of reconciliation, for the sake of gospel, for the sake of edifying the body of Christ. Let's respond.